When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. On this episode of Newt's World, I want to have a candid discussion about the 118th Congress Speaker Kevin McCarthy's agenda, and talk a little bit about what's happening with all the new members. And it's a remarkable Congress. And I want to give you my observations having taken over the House back in 1995. Watching Speaker McCarthy and his team, it's a very different situation for a lot of reasons. We were a tidal wave election picking up 54 seats and coming out of nowhere when no one expected it to win the first majority in 40 years. Kevin had the challenge of people expecting a huge victory, including me. I was as wrong as anybody else. So there was a certain loss of energy and enthusiasm for a couple of days because they won, but they won by a really narrow margin. And then it occurred to people, oh, that was exactly the same margin as Nancy Pelosi had last Congress. It's exactly the same margin that John Boehner had at one point, and it is one vote bigger than the margin that Denny Hastert had at one point. So it wasn't quite as unique a situation. It began to stabilize. A number of members figured out legitimately that they had enough room to really leverage the leadership because the margin was so small, the leadership couldn't afford to lose anybody. And so you had this remarkable public episode where a group mostly on the right banded together, 20 of them in all, led by about five people who are really aggressive. They basically said, look, we're not going to give Kevin the votes on the floor. Now, they'd gone to the conference during the organizing phase. They lost decisively. McCarthy got 85%, 200 votes. They got 15%. And so you'd think normally if he had beat 85 to 15, you'd probably think, oh, gee, I guess I better stick with the majority. But these folks had figured out this was their one moment of leverage. They wanted positions on key committees, which they had convinced were stacked against conservatives. They wanted commitments on open rules on the floor so people could offer amendments. 
They wanted commitments and moving towards a balanced budget. And it was obviously a pretty knockdown, drag out negotiation. A couple of them were motivated by really petty personal attitudes. But in the bulk, they weren't. This was a real power struggle. Part of it, I think, was really healthy. And I say that because Speaker Pelosi had been running a dictatorship. She said something, and every single Democrat voted yes. She allowed people to vote without ever showing up. So they had all this proxy voting. They had members who had not been there in a year. She basically was happy to have them not show up because she just wanted their votes so they could dominate. The bills were all basically written at the very center by a handful of people. And you were getting trillions of dollars in spending, 4,000 pages in legislation, two days to look at it, no amendments, and then they'd ram it through on a party line vote. Now, ironically, both Speaker Pelosi and Speaker John Boehner had gotten elected with only 216 votes because they couldn't get an absolute majority, but they could convince a handful of people to not vote. And that gave them a majority of those who did vote. The House rules are a majority of the members who have shown up and are voting. So again, it wasn't quite that different, but two things made it different. One was this was all being played out in public. It had all come down to the actual swearing-in ceremony. And normally, you'd expect the new speaker to be elected in the first ballot. It took 15 ballots. Now, that had several really interesting effects. And Clist and I watched with great interest, because Clist had spent 18 years working in the Congress and had a pretty good understanding of all this stuff. And we were kind of fascinated by just how it was working. So we spent more time watching C-SPAN than we have in a long time. A couple observations. McCarthy proved that he was confident, he was calm, he was smiling. That was important because it meant that by the time they were done on the 15th ballot, everybody on his side had figured out this is a much tougher guy than we thought. One of Kevin's challenges was that people were so used to him being pleasant and friendly that they didn't see him as a fighter. Well, very calmly stuck to it. He kept his 200 people committed, vote after vote. They didn't yield. And finally, they worked out a deal on the 15th ballot. Now, I had two thoughts coming out of that that were probably a little different than most people. The first was, he would have been in a weaker position if he'd won on the first ballot, because everybody knew a fight was coming. And if he'd won on the first ballot, they would have been waiting for the big blow-up. And it would have happened sooner or later. That's what happened to Boehner. That's what happened to Paul Ryan. They never managed to get rid of the poison and get down to working together. Well, by fighting it out for 15 ballots in public, virtually everybody on the other side was exhausted too. And so they're kind of going, okay, can we find a way to work together? And I have been up on the Hill a great deal more recently than probably the last five years. And I can tell you, The spirit among very conservative members, the spirit among everybody, is we've got to deliver, we've got to perform, we've got to make this thing work. And that means we've got to listen to each other. So that was one. The other was, Kevin was much better known. You go through 15 rounds in public, you have the drama of, is he going to make it, is he not going to make it? You're suddenly a lot bigger figure than you were when this thing started. That made him in terms of his leverage to negotiate with Biden, his leverage to get things done around the country, to recruit new candidates. You know, it's a little bit like a great successful football coach 
you win the big game, you can go recruit the big athletes. So Kevin has more capacity today than he had when this fight started. The other thing is, people forget or never knew that McCarthy is a strategic planner. He thinks out six months. He thinks out a year. I mean, he was sitting there waiting patiently to finally get to the vote he needed. And he was thinking about the first really big crisis, which is going to be the debt ceiling. And he knew that that would be the moment the media would try to paint the Republicans as extremists, the moment they would try to paint the Republicans as negative, and the moment they would try to paint Republicans as irresponsible. Because he knew what was going to happen, McCarthy was in a position to figure out a language that would really work. And he'd been a big enough student of Reagan as a good Californian that he really understood that the power of words was decisive. So he wanted to make sure we were using the word for, not the word against. And he wanted to be able to say, I am for a debt ceiling. But how do you say that when you have a conservative conference that hates the whole idea of raising the debt? Well, you start talking about a responsible debt ceiling, which means cutting spending, as opposed to an irresponsible debt ceiling, which would have no changes. And you begin to position Biden so that he's for an irresponsible debt ceiling. Now, what does that do? First of all, let's go to your members and say, let's talk about the spending cuts we want and the economic growth package we want if we're going to ever have a debt ceiling. Now they're talking about what they're going to do, what they're going to be for. They're not talking yet about whether or not Biden buys it because that's not the right staging. The second thing he did that was really important is the only person he negotiates with is Biden. He doesn't negotiate with Schumer. He doesn't negotiate with Hakeem Jeffries. And he was very fortunate by being patient and being positive. Mitch McConnell came out and said publicly in a speech on the Senate floor, this is being led by Speaker McCarthy. The House has the lead on this, and I am supporting them. And by the way, I agree there should be spending cuts. Now, in the Reagan tradition, what really began to make this work is really simple. 73% of the American people think it is responsible to cut spending if you're going to pass a debt ceiling. Only 24% believe you should pass a debt ceiling with nothing attached. So Biden had trapped himself into a position that only one out of every four Americans favored. McCarthy had found a position that three out of four Americans favored. And in general in American politics, if you're disciplined and consistent over time, the three to one beats the, the one. It's the nature of the American system. And you began to see this because all of a sudden, for example, Democratic Senator Joe Manchin calls Kevin and says, can I come over and see you? I'd like to talk about spending cuts. A number of other Democrats in the House from very Republican districts announced collectively, well, of course, we should be negotiating spending cuts. I mean, all of a sudden, the seams start to come apart. Now, let me just say as an aside, while this is happening, the Republicans are bringing up two important China votes. One was to create a select committee on the Chinese communist. That was created with a huge bipartisan vote. A majority of Democrats voted with the Republicans to create that committee. Then they followed with a bill that cuts the Chinese off from using American Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Now, by cutting off the Chinese from the American Strategic Petroleum Reserve, it's at least symbolically important. And what happened was at that point, you had a real commitment Again, by a majority of the Democratic caucus who joined the Republicans to pass it because they knew 
that it was too popular to be opposed to. So McCarthy was beginning to gather around him a sense of bipartisanship, a sense of reasonableness, but in a very firmly conservative kind of way. As this is going on, he also is meeting the commitment that he had developed in his commitment to America, which is still worth looking at. It's 150 ideas, which I think is at commitmenttoamerica.com. And the very first commitment he'd made was to vote on the 87,000 IRS agents. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. I think it's extremely important for everyone to understand that it would be a derelict of duty to not raise the debt ceiling because it would wreak havoc on both the United States economy, the world markets, and threaten our very status as a country that people can rely on. But I think there is a difference between a responsible debt ceiling increase and an irresponsible debt ceiling increase. And that's where I think Speaker McCarthy is going to win the argument, both with the American people and ultimately with President Biden. So let's look at how that's evolving. On Wednesday, Speaker McCarthy and President Biden met at the White House to discuss the debt ceiling. And here's what Speaker McCarthy had to say after they met. We have different perspectives, but we both laid out some of our vision of where we'd want to get to. And I believe after laying both about, I can see where we can find common ground. Now, McCarthy was very careful 
in talking a very respectful way about President Biden. And by the way, President Biden since then has been very respectful in talking positively about Speaker McCarthy. And neither has said they accept the other's viewpoint, but the beginning of a potential working relationship is there. And when you're dealing with a president of the other party, that's a very important breakthrough. Speaker McCarthy has a plan. It's dramatically different than the president's. And I think it's worth hearing McCarthy himself. He said on Face the Nation on January 29th, I know the president said he didn't want to have any discussions, but I think it's very important that our whole government is designed to find compromise. I want to find a reasonable and a responsible uh, way that we can lift the debt ceiling, but take control of this runaway spending. I mean, if you look at the last four years, the Democrats have increased spending by 30 percent, $400 billion. We're at 120 percent of GDP. Um, we haven't been in this place to debt since World War II. So we can't continue down this path. And I don't think there's anyone in America who doesn't agree that there's some wasteful Washington spending that we can eliminate. Mm -hmm. So I want to sit down together, work out an agreement that we can move forward to put us on a path to balance at the same time, not put any, any of our debt in jeopardy at the same time. Now, one of the key things you're going to hear from the White House is the Republicans want to cut Medicare and Social Security. They say that because it scores really well and makes them feel good. It's totally not true. And in fact, Speaker McCarthy has vowed that Medicare and Social Security are not on the chopping block. Here's what he said on Face the Nation. If you read our commitment to America, all we talk about is strengthening Medicare and Social Security. So, and I know the president says he doesn't want to look at it, but we've got to make sure we strengthen those. What I do you think, mean by strengthen? Do you mean lift the retirement age? No, no, no. What I'm talking about, Social Security and Medicare, you can keep that to the side. What I want to look at is they've increased spending by 30%, $400 billion in four years. When you look at what they have done, uh, adding $10 trillion of debt for the next 10 years in the short time period. If you just look a month ago, they went through and they never even passed a bill through appropriations in the Senate. And let me say, by the way, that when I was speaker, we followed a very similar pattern. We never touched Social Security. We only improved Medicare by adding Medicare Advantage, which is a side effect save money. But the purpose wasn't to, quote, cut Medicare. We actually increased Medicare spending. The purpose was to improve Medicare options for senior citizens. The fact is that the Democrats are trying very hard to drive home this idea that threatening to actually not pass the debt ceiling or threatening to only pass a debt ceiling that's not right somehow is inappropriate. The National Economic Council Director for President Biden, Brian Deese, and the Office of Management and Budget Director, Shalanda Young, sent a memo to McCarthy on January 30th, and they kind of set up their straw man. Let me share it with you. Quote, as the president has said many times, the United States must never default on its financial obligations. Raising the debt ceiling is not a negotiation. It's an obligation of this country and its leaders to avoid economic chaos. Speaker McCarthy's unwillingness to update to take the threat of default off the table makes him an outlier, including among current and former leaders of his own party. Quote, on March 9th, President Biden will release his budget. The budget will show how the president plans to invest in America, continue to lower costs for families, protect and strengthen Social Security and Medicare, and reduce the deficit, with tables and numbers showing exactly how his economic and fiscal policies 
add up to achieve these goals. Speaker McCarthy has said that reducing the deficit is a top priority for him and his caucus. So far, however, House Republicans have offered up detailed plans to increase the deficit with tax policies that would benefit the wealthiest Americans. As shown below, in seeking their majority this fall and during the first few weeks of holding it, House Republicans have already voted on, supported, or proposed numerous ideas that would increase the deficit by trillions of dollars over the next decade. They will conclude, quote, any serious conversation about economic and fiscal policy needs to start with a clear understanding of the participants' goals and proposals. Speaker McCarthy and his caucus need to transparently lay out to the American people their fiscal and economic proposals in the normal budget process. In fact, Speaker McCarthy said this weekend, our very first responsibility is to pass a budget. On Wednesday, President Biden will seek clarity from Speaker McCarthy about when the public can expect to see his detailed, comprehensive budget, close quote. Now, frankly, as somebody who went through this and ultimately helped produce four consecutive balanced budgets, this is all a charade. McCarthy has been in office for a couple of weeks. The Republicans do not have an obligation to try to match the capacity of the White House to generate a detailed budget, and a large part of the Biden budget will turn out to be phony. In response to the memo, McCarthy tweeted, quote, Mr. President, I received your staff's memo. I'm not interested in political games. I'm coming to negotiate for the American people, close quote. Now, interestingly, while the Democrats claim you can't talk about negotiating on the debt ceiling, the fact is in 2011, Biden did just that. As vice president, he was involved in a negotiation which substantially reduced spending in order to pass a debt ceiling. The Democrats have been trying to do a dance. Schumer has attacked Speaker McCarthy and has said, oh, there should be no change. There should totally be a clean debt ceiling. And Hakeem Jeffries, the new Democratic leader in the House, has had a similar pattern. The fact is that when you get down to it, they're going to be a negotiation. The only way they're going to get something out of the House is to have significant reduction in spending. And a lot of this is just kind of a kabuki dance that deep down they must know it's not going to work. They may hope it's going to work. They may be thinking, hey, we got this brand new speaker. He only got elected by a narrow margin. Maybe we can get him to flinch. But that's not quite how it's working out. President Biden continued this theory of no negotiations when he tweeted on February 1st, quote, just finished a wide-ranging discussion with Speaker McCarthy. I made clear that it's the shared duty of every leader in Congress not to allow a default. However, I told him I welcome separate talks about how best to continue reducing the deficit while growing the economy. Now, I thought that was fascinating, and I called several people to make the point. What Biden has just done is potentially opened up a two-track process. And what Republicans could do is say, fine. I'm quoting President Biden. We'll have, quote, separate talks about how best to continue reducing the deficit while growing the economy. Then we will pass that agreement. You will sign it into law. And after you've done that, we can pass a clean debt ceiling because we already have gotten everything we wanted to put on the debt ceiling. I don't think it had occurred to Biden that by making it clear they could have two separate talks, he might be setting up a situation where the Republicans can say, we'll be glad to pass the debt ceiling right after the first of those talks leads to lower spending. The White House version was the following, quote, President Biden made clear that as every other leader in both parties in Congress has affirmed, 
it is their shared duty not to allow an unprecedented and economically catastrophic default. The United States Constitution is explicit about this obligation, and the American people expect Congress to meet it in the same way all of its predecessors have. It is not negotiable or conditional. It goes on to say, I'm quoting the White House, the president welcomes a separate discussion with congressional leaders about how to reduce the deficit and control the national debt while continuing to grow the economy. This conversation should build on the president's leadership in delivering a record $1.7 trillion in deficit reduction in his first two years in office. The president and the speaker agreed to continue this conversation, close quote. Well, of course, almost all of the record deficit reduction came from the end of the COVID disaster and the natural drop in spending based on that pandemic having been over. But what's equally interesting, notice that he did explicitly say that he is prepared to talk about in a separate discussion. Now, I would also point out that while he claims every leader has said they had to pass the debt ceiling, the fact is there have been many occasions where the debt ceiling was modified in order to reduce spending. I led several of them when I was speaker. Biden himself helped negotiate in 2011 with Mitch McConnell and others. This is not unprecedented. But the fact is that Speaker McCarthy has begun to move down the road and develop real momentum. And the American people, by about 73 to 24, the American people favor a debt ceiling that modifies spending rather than a debt ceiling that has no modification. Only 24% of the country favors what President Biden is calling for. And that is too narrow a base for the Democrats to be able to stay there if the Republicans are calmly and cheerfully persistent in moving in the right direction. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Now, what's interesting is the Republicans, in the middle of all this talk, they're already passing a variety of bills. House Resolution 11 
which established the Select Committee on the Strategic Competition between the United States and the Chinese Communist Party, which I must say has become a lot more relevant with the Chinese balloon drifting around Montana and apparently coming down through the rest of the United States. Just driving home how real the Chinese behavior and the aggressiveness of China is. That committee, and this is, I thought, pretty impressive, was agreed to in the House by 365 to 65. That means the Democrats voted 146 yes, which is a remarkable turnaround. When you have that kind of a margin, you really are dealing with bipartisan activity on a scale that Nancy Pelosi never saw. Similarly, the Family and Small Business Taxpayer Protection Act was passed, which took away certain unobligated amounts made for the IRS to be able to hire the 87,000 new agents. That passed the House 221 to 210. They also passed a resolution condemning the recent attack on pro-life facilities, groups, and churches. That passed by 222 to 209. Interestingly, only three Democrats voted to condemn the recent attacks on pro-life facilities, groups, and churches. Only three. 209 Democrats voted against condemning the attacks on pro-life facilities, groups, and churches. The Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act, which says if you're born alive, you are no longer can be aborted, introduced by Representative Ann Wagner, that passed by 220 to 210, with only one Democrat agreeing that if the child's born alive, it should be preserved, it should be preserved alive and not killed. So there are a tremendous number of things underway that are real. And the commitment to America, which I recommend if you haven't gone, go look at commitmenttoamerica.com. The House Republicans, not just Kevin McCarthy, the House Republicans as a group, created this commitment. It's 150 big ideas. They are steadily working their way through it. It starts with an economy that's strong, fighting inflation, lowering the cost of living, curbing wasteful government spending, which they feel raises the price of food and gasoline and housing and the national debt, increasing take-home pay, creating good-paying jobs, bringing stability to the economy through pro-growth tax and regulatory policies, They call for making America energy independent and reducing gas prices, maximizing the production of reliable American-made energy, cut the permitting process time in half for American production to reduce reliance on foreign countries, prevent rolling blackouts, and lower the cost of gas and utilities. Republicans have a pretty simple defendable position on the supply of oil and gas, which is that Texas, Oklahoma, North Dakota, Pennsylvania, are better places to get spies than, say, Venezuela or Russia. Now, this seems to shake the left-wing Democrats who, for some reason, think getting energy from anywhere other than the U.S. is a good thing. The Republicans are also committed to strengthening the supply chain, ending dependence on China, moving the supply chain away from China, expanding U.S. manufacturing, and enhancing America's economic competitiveness and cyber resiliency. And what is probably the emotionally most powerful part of the commitment to America, it's committed to a nation that's safe that starts with securing the border and combating illegal immigration, fully funding effective border enforcement strategies, infrastructure, and advanced technology to prevent illegal crossings and trafficking by cartels, ending catch and release loopholes, requiring proof of legal status to get a job, and eliminating welfare incentives. It also calls for reducing crime and protecting public safety, 
supporting 200,000 more police officers through recruiting and retention bonuses, opposing all efforts to defund the police, cracking down on prosecutors and district attorneys who refuse to prosecute crime, while permanently making criminal all forms of illicit fentanyl. It also calls for defending America's national security, supporting our troops, investing in an efficient, effective military, the establishment of a select committee in China, which they've already done, and exercising peace through strength with our allies to counter increasing global threats. And I have to say, this Chinese balloon floating across America, while we refuse to do anything about it, hardly indicates peace through strength. That's peace through wimpiness or weakness or however you want to call it. But it's astonishing that our senior leadership refused to shoot it down. The commitment to America calls for a future that's built on freedom, making sure that every student can succeed and give parents a voice, advancing the parents' bill of rights, recover lost learning from school closures, and expanding parental choice so over a million more students can receive the education their parents know is best, Defend fairness by ensuring that only biologically born women can compete in women's sports. The Republicans are also calling for achieving longer, healthier lives for Americans, personalizing care to provide affordable options and better quality delivered by trusted doctors, lowering prices through transparency, choice, and competition, investing in life-saving cures, and improving access to telemedicine. Finally, they call for confronting big tech and they demand fairness providing greater privacy and data security protection, equipping parents with more tools to keep their kids safe online, and stopping companies from putting politics ahead of people. And certainly what we've learned so far from Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter and the release of their internal documents, some kind of serious effort to confront big tech is more than called for. The Republican commitment also calls for a government that's accountable. There's a big emphasis on when I had dinner with the Judiciary Committee Republicans, they were very clear that preserving our constitutional freedoms is at the heart of what they think the Judiciary Committee has to focus on, upholding free speech, protecting the lives of unborn children and their mothers, guaranteeing religious freedom, safeguarding the Second Amendment. In addition, the House Republicans are committed to holding Washington accountable, conducting rigorous oversight to rein in government abuse of power and corruption, provide real transparency, and require the White House to answer for its incompetence at home and abroad. They are also committed to saving and strengthening Social Security and Medicare. It's a fact that currently at the spending patterns and revenue patterns that we're going to see a disaster sometime in the next decade with both Social Security and Medicare. It's also a fact that with enough economic growth, you solve a lot of that problem. And with some rethinking about the reality that we're living longer, we're living better, that we have a whole different approach to aging than we've ever had before, that we can have a conversation about that. But I think you start with the premise, we're going to save and strengthen Social Security and Medicare. We're not going to cut either one of them. The Republicans are also committed to restoring the people's voice. They want to end the special treatment for members of Congress by repealing proxy voting, which they've now done. And by the way, the Democrats had members who hadn't shown up in a year. They just sent in their proxy and Nancy Pelosi voted it. The Republicans want to increase accountability in the election process through voter ID, accurate voter rolls, and observer access. So there's a ton of stuff in CommitmentToAmerica.com. I recommend it highly because I think it's going to explain a great deal of what's going to be done over the next couple of years. I also want to point out that there are 40 Republican House freshmen in the 118th Congress. 
this is not just a story about Speaker Kevin McCarthy. This is a story about a group that I think may be among the smartest Republican members ever elected to Congress. I look at the current generation and I think they're much better prepared, have much more real-time experience, have done many more things. Let me just give you a couple examples. Morgan Luttrell from Texas 8th is the twin brother of lone survivor Marcus Luttrell. Luttrell's twin brother, Morgan, is also a retired Navy SEAL. He left the Navy with the rank of lieutenant. He served as advisor to Energy Secretary Rick Perry during the Donald Trump administration. On November 8th, he was elected to represent Texas's 8th Congressional District. Lori Chavez de Raymer from Oregon 5th is one of the first two Latinas elected in Oregon. The second is Democrat Andrea Salinas and the first Republican woman elected to Congress in Oregon in history. She previously served as mayor of Happy Valley, there really is a place called Happy Valley, Oregon, from 2010 to 2018, and the city's first female and first Latina elected mayor. Anna Polina Luna from Florida's 13th district is the first Mexican-American woman from Florida elected to Congress and is an Air Force veteran. She was previously the National Director of Hispanic Engagement at Turning Point USA. Many of these members go to join the Freedom Caucus. That was founded in 2015. It was launched by Scott Garrett of New Jersey, Jim Jordan of Ohio, John Fleming of Louisiana, Matt Salmon of Arizona, Justin Amash of Michigan, Raul Labrador of Idaho, Mick Mulvaney of South Carolina, Ron DeSantis of Florida, and Mark Meadows of North Carolina. It's now become a very powerful organization and Representative Scott Perry and the Freedom Caucus published a roadmap for becoming Republican members of Congress for the 118th freshman, which you can get at perry.house.gov. The House Freedom Caucus is very bold in its reform proposals. They want to reclaim legislative impact for the people's representatives, trying to enact a majority of majority rule, which says that any legislation passed in a Republican House should be supported by a majority of House Republicans. By the way, That's, to me, easy and obvious. You start passing things with a minority of your own members, you won't be a leader very long. But that's an easy one. They want to restore the independence of committees to balance the power between committees and party leaders. I think real steps are taken. They want to expand the steering committee, which makes nearly all the decisions and committee assignments. They want to open the legislative process. And there, I'm totally supportive. When I was Speaker, the two most open houses in terms of being able to offer amendments were the two terms I was speaker. So I'm very open and very committed and very happy to have an open house where members of both parties, Democrats and Republicans, can offer resolutions and offer amendments. They want to restore fiscal responsibility, which requires being responsible with spending decisions. Look, that to me is a clear path of the future. We helped balance the budget for four consecutive years, the only time in our lifetime we were paying down the national debt at an amazing level. And I believe it can be done again. And I think it's a reasonable goal. I just want to give you this overview report to set the stage for the next two years, because this is going to be a very exciting and very interesting House Republican Party. I think that you're going to find that there are a lot of brand new developments, a lot of brand new ideas, a lot of real reforms, and an amazing number of things going on. And from time to time, I'll do a podcast and share with you my thoughts about what's happening in the Congress, what's happening with President Biden. And that's before we get around to the presidential cycle. I want to stay focused on the Congress rather than the presidential race right now, because I think 
whether or not the House Republicans can bring themselves together, continue to be unified as they are right now, get to very dramatic spending changes before they have a debt ceiling, create a track that really leads to a balanced budget within the next decade, reform the Defense Department, reform the big bureaucracies, and get America back on a track of economic growth, while at the same time exposing the corruption, the dishonesty, the fundamental violations of law that have been going on in the executive branch. If they can do all that, they will reshape the very nature of the presidential race And they will convince the American people that there is a Republican Party that's positive, solution-oriented, working to improve their lives. And that sets a very different tone and a different setting for the presidential campaign. And that's why, for the near future, I want to report to you as things evolve about what's going on in the Congress, which I think will then shape what's going to happen in the presidential race. I'd like to hear your questions about the 118th Congress or the debt ceiling debate. You can submit questions to me at gingrich360.com slash questions. That's gingrich360.com slash questions. Thank you for listening. You can learn more about the 118th Congress and the debt ceiling debate on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newtsworld is produced by Gingrich360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Garnsey Sloan. Our producer is Rebecca Howell. And our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at gingrich360.com newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm. The Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart.